When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Laco Finewood Floors, we take a look at the Supreme Court's ruling 9 to nothing in favor of the student-athletes and what that could mean for the future of NCAA athletics. We also take a look at a quick recap of Vanderbilt's uh, College World Series games against Arizona and North Carolina State, and we take a look at Tennessee's performance in Omaha. We also do a quick preview and take a look into Stanford and what to expect tonight at 6 p.m. as the Commodores face elimination. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report, episode 91 on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, June 23rd. As always, we are presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. I'm unfortunately unable to be joined by my partner in crime, Billy Derrick. Had some scheduling conflicts, but I'm here to preview uh, the Vanderbilt's College World Series matchup against Stanford coming up at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN tonight, an elimination game for the Commodores. We're also going to take a look back at the College World Series games that have happened so far and also take a quick look into Tennessee's two and barbecue appearance in Omaha. We're also going to touch on the Supreme Court's ruling nine to nothing against the NCAA and what that could lead to in the future for college athletics. But before we get to all this and more breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, Go ahead and give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. All right, we'll go ahead and get started here on the non-college baseball side of things and get into the Supreme Court's ruling uh, in favor of the student-athletes and against the NCAA. Uh, I'll start out by reading the uh, portion of the statement by Justice Kavanaugh. The NCAA is not above the law, he states. The NCAA couches its argument for not paying student athletes and innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. So this 9-0 ruling by the Supreme Court that came down, it hasn't really been discussed near as much as I expected. 
this is going to change everything relating to college athletics. And we're going to see the beginning of that um, starting July 1st because of California's ruling and their state laws associated with uh, the ability for players to profit off their image and likeness. Because the NCAA has dragged their feet and not had any rulings or any, um, it really anything relating to this being implemented so soon. I mean, it's it's literally eight days away from this happening and, and we really aren't hearing much about it. it. Either the NCAA is going to have to allow players to profit from their image and likeness across the country, or they're not going to be able to allow schools in the state of California um, and those teams on those schools to compete in NCAA postseason events. And I don't think they're going to do that because of the large brands you have out in California and the viewing audience and revenue that they are going to lose from that. Um, I, I just see this being the first step into the eventual, uh, eventually the NCAA being dissolved or at least reduced to a capacity where it's almost unrecognizable where we see it now. Um, starting July 1st, you're going to have agents coming up to players. You're going to have marketing agencies. You're going to have money flowing. And basically, these universities are going to be able to recruit these athletes under these new rules, um, basically offering whatever they want. And then the NCAA has, or, or excuse me, the Supreme Court has ruled against the NCAA stating um, that they can't cap educational benefits. And that's going to, and they've done all this under the guise of amateurism. And let me take a step back here because this entire discussion is not done in, in an intelligent fashion. So let's just cut back and, and take a step back here. All athletic programs subsidize every single sport from the revenue generated by college football one and men's basketball two. So we need to start out there by knowing that the only way that these athletic departments function is by having those two sports subsidize everything else and pay for everything else. And because of Title IX requiring equal distribution of educational benefits across sexes, so between men and women's sports, this subsidizes not only women's sports, but also men's sports across the board, whether it's men's track and field, women's, women's swimming, uh, men's lacrosse, women's soccer, all of this is subsidized by money brought in by just those two sports. So the, the first thing in this is how is it going to impact Title IX? I'm not a lawyer, I can't tell you, but I do know it is going to be chaos and it is eventually at some point going to lead to the discussion. I don't know if it's going to be in three years, five years, 10 years, where we're going to be hearing about college football separating itself from the NCAA and forming its own league because the NCAA at this point is kind of a useless appendage on the back of these revenue generating sports. Why do they need them to regulate them and disallow them from generating more revenue to these universities? They really don't. So the first thing to understand is that on July 1st, this isn't pay to play. So this isn't going to be money coming from universities into players pockets. It's going to be allowing these players to go out and sign autographs at events, sell jerseys, things of that nature. Um, but that sounds great in theory. And that sounds, why haven't we been doing this forever? Well, it's not that easy because anytime you have this amount of money coming in, you're going to have people over the top trying to come in, such as agents, talk to players, marketing agencies, business managers in quotation marks. So it's going to be pretty messy 
um, once this is once this is implemented because there's really no legislation from the NCAA or these universities to know what to expect. It's really slipped under the radar. And what they have done with this Supreme Court ruling and the law in California uh, that that I believe starts July 1st is they've opened Pandora's box and there's no going back now because we don't know what this is going to look like. And I think it's going to lead to the eventual lifting of the age restrictions in these pro sports, how the NBA, you have to be one year removed from high school football. You have to be three years removed from high school. That's never made sense to me from the beginning, but I think that this will eventually lead to that being taken away entirely. Um, But this is just, I don't understand why it hasn't received more coverage. This is the biggest story in NCAA athletics in my lifetime, and it's going to change NCAA athletics to the point that that it's going to be almost unrecognizable. And I'm a little bit torn because these guys do deserve to be paid, but people always like to say about the fair equity in college athletics that now only the schools that can afford, you know, to be in these bigger, uh, bigger regions, bigger audiences watching these players, they're just going to be able to offer more money in quotations, marketing deals and recruiting guys. And my argument to that is, well, right now, it's not like Alabama is competing with Texas El Paso for the same football recruits. Five stars aren't going to Tennessee Tech University or Austin P. They're not competing for the same guys in the first place. The best players will still go to the best programs. It's still going to be Alabama, Clemson, Texas, Florida, you're still going to see the same names getting the five and four stars. You're still going to be see the same names, Vanderbilt, Duke, Wake, Wake Forest, Stanford, um, that are going to be getting those three, three star guys, some four star guys. And then you're going to see the two, one and, and the occasional three star go to those lower mid major programs. It's not going to really change anything as far as the dichotomy in college athletics. What it is going to change is how we view these athletes. They're, you're not going to be able to say, well, these are just kids. They're just students. This this is going to eventually expand to so much more and turn college athletics into more of what it is already already right now. And it kind of has a veil over it because of the NCAA and amateurism, but it's a big business. And it, it's eventually going to lead to even more so down the line. Um, once eventually pay to play is implemented and they expand these educational benefit um, packages that these athletes receive and then eventually they're going to be ruled as some type of employee from the university eliminating uh title nine in some capacity i'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out but it's going to lead to the elimination of scholarships of non-revenue generating sports and so those cheering for this really need to understand the broad reaching impact it is going to have and it's not going to be pretty for teams like men's soccer or it's not going to be pretty for team for teams like what women's track and field and these people are not going to be receiving full scholarships any longer and, and that's just as simple as I can put it and the only reason they were before was because of this veiled amateurism. Um, that that the NCAA had implemented and had been this way for so long and they were really trying to prevent the chaos that this is going to bring you're going to have 17 18 19 year olds being approached being offered more money than they have ever seen in their entire lives, whatever that amount is. And these guys are going to get in early and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be something to keep an eye on. And I don't think college football 
specifically is going to look anything really like what we see as far as the NCAA overreaching governing body on top of it um, that we do now. But we will keep you updated and cover this a lot more throughout the summer. Uh, once Vanderbilt and the College World Series is not going on. So probably what you came on here to listen to is not me ramble about the Supreme Court's nine to nothing ruling in favor of NCAA athletes. You probably came on here to listen to a Stanford preview and a recap of the Vanderbilt College World Series games that have already happened. The Commodores are one and one after a win in their opening round game against Arizona um, and a loss against North Carolina State after Jack Leiter's beautiful, beautiful performance. But we'll go ahead and start with the recap here with Arizona. The clutch hitting from Jason Gonzalez, he was the star of this game. Uh, Kumar did not have his best outing. Uh, he left uh, with five runs on the board. I believe only three of those were actually earned. Um, but the bullpen came in and did its job, only gave up one more run. Uh, and it, it was an incredible performance from that bullpen. And I think that got lost in the walk-off win in the 12th inning. And a lot of that got lost in the shuffle, but the performance of the bullpen was phenomenal. And, and that's just something that's going to need to continue, especially since we don't know who's going to be on the mound yet, but we know that Vanderbilt's third starter has not been near as consistent as Rocker and Leiter, obviously. Uh, but the NC State game was, it was one of those that's going to be hard to stomach for Vanderbilt fans, and it's still probably sitting wrong in, in, the, in the minds of a lot of Commodore fans. Jack Leiter came out and pitched an absolute gem, and Vanderbilt was un unable to push even a single run across um, to, to give Leiter that, that victory that he deserved after a 15-strikeout, uh, four-hit, one-walk game, complete game. It was a complete game, despite what you may have heard. I won't name any names. Uh, it was a complete game, and it's ruled as a complete game. Um, and he was outstanding, and he still took a loss in the box score. So what needs to happen for the bats to be fixed? That's a question that I don't know the answer to. In all honesty, you have talent in this lineup. You have Dominique Keegan. You have Troy Leneve. You have Enrique Bradfield. You have Vaz. Uh, you've got guys that can put the ball in play. And for whatever reason, the bats have just not performed very well whatsoever. Um, we, saw, we saw them perform okay against Arizona, and they were able to come through in some clutch spots. Carter Young hitting a clutch home run there, Jason Gonzalez as well, and then, of course, that walk-off that he hit in the 12th inning. But it seems like the bats were a little bit timid. I, I think we could all watch that game and, and watch them against North Carolina State and watch what that pitcher was doing, even though he was mixing in some weird sidearm action randomly throughout the game and say, this is not one of the top five top 10 pitchers as far as actual stuff that he's throwing um, is concerned that Vanderbilt's seen this year. And he was leaving some pitches hanging and Vanderbilt just wasn't able to capitalize. And they were swinging at some bad pitches once they got behind in the count. And the Commodores just need to be more aggressive at the plate. And that's really easy to say. That's really easy for me to come onto this podcast and say, you just need to be more aggressive and swing at pitches. But they watched a lot of good pitches go by and then swung at a lot of bad ones once they were behind in that count. And that's something that's going to have to change, especially in this game three, where pretty much every team in the country has at least one. And at this point, they have probably at least two starters that they're pretty confident in. Uh, not saying they're top 10 picks like Vanderbilt has, but they've pitched a lot of games. They've had a lot of success if they're still in this role at this point in the year. But that third starting spot 
for pretty much every team in the country is pretty unsolidified and, and pretty much a big hanging question mark in the air. I don't think it's going to take two runs to win this game tonight uh, against Stanford like it did, like it would have against North Carolina State. But speaking of here, uh, some disappointing offensive performances, I can't get past this recap uh, before we head into the Stanford preview before discussing Tennessee's performance at the College World Series. Me and Billy discussed it a couple times on the podcast and their fan base and a lot of the things they were saying that were completely off the wall and unjustified and saying that they were the favorite going into Omaha. They haven't been here since 2005. And Billy and me were hitting on the fact that they play in a small ballpark and the ball doesn't travel out of TD Ameritrade like it does in their cracker box of a stadium. And that showed. You know how many home runs Tennessee hit? You know how many they hit in the College World Series? I'll give you uh, a count of, uh, the count of three to guess in your head how many home runs they hit. One, two, three. Do you have the right answer? Because it was zero. Zero home runs in that stadium with their stupid daddy hat that you saw plastered all over SEC Network and their social media. That didn't come out once. Uh, they scored a total of four runs, um, lost 14 to four, obviously six to nothing in that first game against Virginia. And they were honestly dominated. They didn't look like they belonged there. They looked overwhelmed by the bright lights of TD Ameritrade. And you know what Tennessee did um, afterwards, at least rumored um, on Twitter, seen from a couple different people, they offered Tony Vitello a new contract. And he's now the highest paid baseball coach, according to sources. I don't know who these sources are, um, but according to sources, he's now the highest paid baseball coach in college baseball. So that makes, and you know who was the one previous before Tony Vitello was Tim Corvin. So you have both of the highest paid baseball coaches in the country, in the state of Tennessee, in the SEC. It just means more. Um, but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that program and see how they, they move forward in the future after the absolute blow up by one of the assistant coaches dropping some words on national TV that I won't repeat on this family friendly door report podcast. Um, but it was great to see Tennessee come in and absolutely choke under these circumstances, not saying because of the players, but just because of their fan base and that entire coaching staff. I'm just not a fan. You may be, but I doubt it. Let's move on to the Stanford preview. Uh, Vanderbilt has a massive game tonight against the Cardinal. Stanford coming in 39-16 in the regular season, 17-10 and in the Pac-12. And coming off a 14-5 win um, over an Arizona team that really looked deflated after the 12-inning loss to the Commodores um, previously. Uh, they they hit they had 20 hits in that game. This is uh, that was actually I believe a College World Series the first time in 20 or 30 years that that many hits um, had been recorded in a game. Uh, Stanford is traditionally a pretty good program. They're pretty young, um, but their last appearance in Omaha was in 2008. Um, so it's been a little bit while, a little bit of a while of a time between appearances for Stanford. Um, but that's who Vanderbilt will be facing tonight. They do have a pretty deep pitching staff. They used five pitchers uh, against NC State in that loss. Um, and they remain, they, even though they did rely pretty heavily on their ace starter in Brendan Beck, who it's really doubtful Vanderbilt's going to see him since he did just pick pitch against North Carolina State. Um, they, they do have some pretty good bats. Um, <clears throat> a couple guys to keep an eye on. Brock Jones leads the team with 16 homers, um, 54 RBIs. They have, 
five guys, I believe, hitting over 300 and six guys who've driven in 30 runs or more. And they do have four players who have hit double digit home runs this year. Uh, It's not shocking that they have some pretty good stats along that uh, along that uh, along the season. I mean, at this point, everybody's extremely talented, has extremely talented players. Um, And I don't think we've had a starter name for either team tonight. I could be mistaken about Stanford, but I know Vanderbilt at this point when I'm recording has not announced who their starter will be tonight. I would be pretty surprised if it's not Riley. Um, We've seen Patrick Riley really take over that role, even though it hasn't always been with the most success this year. Uh, That's who we've seen really, really consistently. And I'm okay with seeing Riley run out there on a very short leash. Um, Anybody that's watched Vanderbilt baseball this year has seen Riley come out and look outstanding. They've also seen him come out and look really disjointed, unfocused, and unable to hit his spots. So Riley has a tendency, if he can make it through the first two innings unscathed or giving up just one run, I think we see at least six innings pitched by Patrick Riley. If we see him come out, give up two, three runs in the first first two innings, they have to yank him immediately and put in someone from the bullpen. It'll be interesting because they still have Christian Little sitting there, who we saw in in one performance recently as a starter. Um, They have McIlvain in the bullpen, I believe we've only seen once. And we do have Schultz sitting there as well as an option to start tonight. But like I said, my guess, and if if I had to put some money on it, I would say it would be Riley. But I want to see them come out, and he needs to have a quick hook because Riley's innings can spiral out of control very, very quickly. And this is not the time to allow him to work through those issues. If he does come out in that first inning and and look like he's struggling, I would love to see them go to Christian a little early if that was to happen um, or, or go to Schultz early. Um, but I, I really would like to see little come into the game, um, but I don't know if that is going to happen. And hopefully if they do go with Riley, he will come out perform well and this won't be much of a discussion but this game it is going to come down to pitching as always but really this game is going to come down to the bats and they did they have not performed incredibly well throughout this whole uh college world series and they really really struggled against north carolina state only pushing across i believe three four hits so what what do they need to do i don't i don't know i mean you're obviously facing a less talented pitcher and their third starter there at Stanford. Um, I don't know if it's a timing thing, if it's a different approach at the plate, being more aggressive on pitch one, less aggressive on pitch one, um, implementing the old Vanderbunt teams that we always like to refer to once you do get a runner on base. Um, But it's all going to come down to that. And you can't have errors in the field like we saw in game one that that fortunately did not lead to a Commodore loss. So just looking crisp, the Stanford team is very talented, and there's a lot of question marks up in the air right now surrounding these bats and who even is going to be taking them out for the Commodores. Unfortunately, during the last five minutes of this podcast, we had some audio issues and recording issues. Thank you, Zoom. Uh, but to sum it up very quickly, uh, we did just go over the gambling lines as well as um ask a question here at the door report to close out the podcast. So I'll give you a quick summary of that last five minutes. Vanderbilt is a minus 130 favorite over Stanford, who is plus 100 right now. Uh, lines in baseball are typically set at minus one and a half and plus one and a half at different odds. Vanderbilt is minus one and a half at odds of plus 145. So what that means is Vanderbilt has to win by more than one and a half runs. So two runs 
or more. And the payout on that is plus 145. So for every dollar that you'd bet, you would get $1.45 back as well as receive your original dollar. But uh, to get to that question that we closed out the podcast with, who do you expect the Commodores to bring out onto the mound to start this game against Stanford tonight at 6 p.m.? And is it the guy that you want to come out on the mound? Uh, you can reach out to us at door underscore report and let us know who you think will be the starter and who you want to be the starter tonight in the elimination game versus Stanford. As always, anchor down. We were hoping to have Jim Wyatt join us here on segment two of episode 91 of The Door Report, but unfortunately, due to some scheduling conflicts and time conflicts, we were unable to have him join us here. So that'll do it for episode 91 of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Anchor down and let's ride. <laughs>